Hallelujah. I'll be honest with you. To do a resurrection service is an intimidating thing for me. Because it's, it's the apex of our faith. It's the, it's the this is it right here. This is the, the, this is the thing right here. This is the event. The incarnation of Christ is amazing. The God in the flesh. But what he did at the cross. But what he did at the cross. I want us all to pray right now. Father God, we thank you for your presence here. Since your anointing, I thank you. We thank you, Lord, as we gather together as the body of Christ, that it says your power is present here. Your Holy Spirit is evident. I thank you, Lord, for the worship that we did so far. We worshiped you, Lord, in, in our praises, in our giving, in our obeisance to you by taking the communion together that binds us together as the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for this special day that we gather together in your name. I ask, Lord, your Holy Spirit would speak through the, me this morning that it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that the word of God would inspire us to faith and service and to share the gift that we have planted within our hearts. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You. you know, in the Bible, it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And, it, and I've pre preached on this before that it seems as if um, trials precede joy. Yeah. Hardship precedes joy. Darkness precedes light. In the Bible, a day was reckoned at darkness first, and then light. And you read in the Bible account of creation, at the evening and the morning was the first days. You know, it was preceded that way. It's not like how we reckon it. Okay, a new day starts at sunrise. But in the Bible reckoning, it seems a new day starts in darkness, and then it goes towards the light. Amen? Amen. You know, in the Bible account, we see that they... The disciples, those who are following, the masses, the crowd. You know, we sang this morning, Hosanna, you know, which means save us now. And we talked about last week, the triumphal entry, and how this was almost like a Greek tragedy where the, everything's building up, and then all of a sudden it just falls apart at one point. But it's coming to a head, it's coming to a conclusion. And I left last week sort of in that place right there of tension, where we have Jesus uh, who had been telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. In fact, in Matthew 16, 21, it says, From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, say, Be it far from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. You know what Jesus said to Peter after that? Get behind me, Satan, for you are mindful of the things of man and not the things of God. God's ways are not our ways. He's faced this. He loves Jesus. He loves him. And he's like, no, 
You're supposed to be restoring the kingdom. You're the Messiah. You're the everlasting one. How is this? You're, you're, you're saying this, that they're going to allow that you're going to allow this to happen. And it's, there's three different or several different places in the Bible where this information went out and it was almost like, la, 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 we don't want to hear that. No, 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 we're not going to hear that. We're not going to hear that. Is there anything in the word of God that we see like that as we read the word that it's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And yet when Jesus says it, it's going to happen and it's for a purpose. And they're hailing him just a week before they're hailing him. Hosanna, save now, son of David, save now. And then next thing you know, the whole crowd turns on a dime and they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We don't want him, we want Barabbas. We want you to release Barabbas. And it wasn't a tragedy. This thing was being worked out. God's plan of salvation was being worked out to the T. In fact, the leader said, let us not crucify him during the feast, lest there be an uproar. God the Father said, no, he's the Passover lamb. He's going to be sacrificed on the Passover for the sins of the people. It wasn't a tragedy that Jesus, it was God's plan being worked out. But it went into a dark place first before the dawning of the light. He goes there. It's like Pastor Tyler said. These men, he's, he humbles himself. He, he washes their feet. He has that communion. He says, I was, I was so desirous to have this last supper with you guys. To impart this upon you. And one of the men who was there in uh, Matthew 20 was, he already had it in his heart. He knew what he was going to do. He, he was thinking, wow, I can make some money off of this. And he had it in his heart that he was going to betray the Lord. Let me see if I can find that scripture. I'm sorry, Matthew. Let's just read it. I'll just paraphrase it. Jesus said to him, they were all, he said, this night one of you is going to betray me. When is he going to betray me? And they all in their heart, because we know as men, we know what's within our heart. In fact, Jesus says, I don't need the approval of men because I know what's in men's heart. We all know what we're capable of. And in fact, every single one of the disciples is, Jesus said this, one of you is going to betray me. And they all asked him, is it I? Is it I? Is it, in, is it I? And because they felt, man, there's a potential here. There's a potential here. If my life is at risk, what am I going to do? And Judas asked Jesus, is it I? And he says, is, is this as is you said it? And he went out and he did what he had to do. So on the very night that he was betrayed, he's, he's betrayed by one of his inner circle. And he goes to the cross regardless. He washed their feet. He washed Judas's feet. He goes to the cross with this on his heart. I know already Peter was like, if everybody else betrays you. If everybody else runs, I won't, Lord. And we know the story with that. The servant girl. I know you were with them. I can tell by the way you talk. You're from, you're from Galilee. I don't know the man. And in fact, he, he swore curses on himself. If I know him, this, that, and the other. And, and, and it says that as Jesus was brought to the courtyard, his eyes locked with Christ right there. And he looked at him, and, he, and Jesus was thinking to him, so I told you, Peter, but I prayed for you. I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. 
And it says that Peter dropped his head and it says he wept bitterly because of this potential. The weakness of our flesh. Jesus doing the impossible for us because we know who we are in our flesh. We might have great intentions. I intend to be the super Christian. And then reality conflicts with life. And we walk away with our head down, looking at our feet like I screwed up again. And Jesus says, I know your condition. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. That's why I'm doing it. Because in the flesh, no good thing dwelleth. We all of us are flawed. We all of us are, are, he have failed. But he filled in that gap that was lacking. He did what we could not do for ourselves. And this was the only way it could be done. It says there's none righteous, no, not one. John the Baptist was considered pretty righteous in the Bible. He said that anybody in the kingdom of heaven now, in the kingdom of Christ, is greater than John the Baptist. Because if we're baptized, if we're born again, we're baptized into Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That he conferred this righteous thing that he did upon us in our fallen condition, in our sinful condition. And when we pray, when we go to God, we can say, Lord, I come on the basis of your sacrifice. I come on the basis of your blood that was shed. I come on the basis of you fulfilling the thing that I could not do. And in fact, when this message went out, it was revolutionary. They said that the people who have turned the world upside down have come into the town because they were proclaiming a God who allowed himself to be crucified and forsaken to save his creation. If that isn't a radical message, I don't know what to say. Where do you ever hear something like that? That's never been done before. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the book of Corinthians, let's go there. This is like the resurrection chapter, they call it. First uh, Corinthians 15. Everything hinges on the resurrection. It was like I said, this dark, dark event. The disciples scattered. Peter, their, their, their supposed leader, denying the Lord. Hold up in a room. The Lord Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to the Father and being met with silence. But the Bible says he was heard in the book of Hebrews because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. He was setting a stage for us. He was setting an example for us. He was uh, in, the, in, the, in his godhood. This was possible. But in the flesh, he was submitting himself to the thing that was due to us. And he did it. You think of it. All God, but all man at the same time. Facing what was due to us. The separation from a holy God. Separation from his father from eternity. And all the sins of the world placed upon him. And that life had better been lived perfect. Or that seed would go into the ground and that seed would not germinate. Three days into the ground. Will it grow? You ever planted seeds? You ever planted good seed? That all of a sudden it says in three or four days this thing's going to pop out and it pops out. And then there's other seeds that you plant that maybe you had too long and you're waiting and nothing happens. Will it break out of the ground? Will it come out? 
Was everything intact to reproduce? That's a celebration of the resurrection. It was an acceptable sacrifice proved by the resurrection from the dead. Proved that this was an acceptable sacrifice. Let me read this. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also received, and which I, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which you preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and he was seen by Cephas which is Peter and then by the twelve and after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once whom the greater part remain to this present but some have fallen asleep or had died after that he was seen by James which is the half brother of Christ then by all the apostles then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time speaking of Paul that he wasn't with the original apostles, but he did see the resurrected Christ on his road to Damascus. And he said he received the gospel, not from man, but from Christ himself. So this is the gospel, the encapsulation. And then it goes on in verse 12. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has not been raised from the dead, how do some amongst you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Do you understand what's being said there? That everything that we believe is hinging, it's, it's based, it's, its foundation is the resurrection of Christ. Because if we're abstaining from the things of this world and we're suffering reproach for the name of Christ... And we're looked at as weird. They call Christians peculiar people. And we're counterculture that the culture is going this way. And those who are following Christ are going against that because we're pursuing eternal life with Christ. And if we're, we're in this condition and Christ is not resurrected, then we're fools. Because we might as well indulge everything to the max right now because this is all there is. And this isn't all there is. There is death. There is a judgment. There is facing breaking God's laws. I remember, you know, you hear people say about this life, and they say this life, this is hell. Life is hell. And some people have a rough life. Let's not, let's not you, know, uh, you know, perfume that. But some people look at this life as life is hell. When I die, either it's lights out and, and I cease to exist or whatever is coming got to be better than this. Anybody heard that philosophy in the world? A lot of people have heard that, right? I've never adhered to that philosophy, but possibly lived as such. And I remember sharing this story that inspired me that the day that I was 
Finally, wanting to come back in a close relationship with Christ. And because of the hardness of my heart, there was a barrier there that was put up. And I went to church and I asked for prayer that day. And I said, Lord, I, I, I just want to get closer to you. I want to get closer to you. And that day, I went out and we were doing some off-roading. And I went over this hill and I, I was in a vehicle that I wasn't strapped into. And I flipped it. And I got launched out and I put my hand down to break my fall and the roll bar came around and crushed this hand and disfigured it really badly. And if you can imagine, which you can't, taking your hand, putting it on the ground and slamming it with a sledgehammer, that's pretty much what I did. And the amount of pain that I was in at that moment was excruciating. It was just, and that word right there is something that Christ suffered on the cross, excruciating pain off of the cross. And my thinking of this was, I've never went under surgery before. I never went under anesthetic. And I was hoping that once I get to the hospital, and I went to the hospital, and they didn't even want to treat me because they didn't come in on an ambulance. They said, go over there and sign some papers and do this. And I'm like, and my hand is just laid open, and it's just screaming pain. Finally, they get me in there. It says, we cannot give you too much anesthetic right now because you're going to go into surgery. And so I'm, I'm there and I'm, you know, just squirming around like a worm. And then finally they put that mask on me. I've never gone under surgery before. They put that thing in, on your face and you count backwards. And I remember counting a couple, a couple, you know, numbers. And then boom, next thing you know, I'm waking up in a totally different place. And I'm expecting when I went under that surgery, when I wake up in the next room, that I'm going to be in better shape than I went in. In fact, I was in more pain than when I went under. And I think to myself, anybody who dies without Christ as their Lord and Savior, this is the potential. Amen. You think about that. That's why he came. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. It's a topic that doesn't get talked about too much anymore. We don't, we don't like, well, I came to feel good. But there has to be, if there's, if there's darkness, and when light is presented, light means so much more when we see it. Amen? Yeah. This gospel, if we just say, well, it's all good. Jesus is good. He's good to everybody. This and that. Then we can say, well, I choose to accept Christ or not accept Christ. But if there's a hard standard that says, apart from Christ, there is no salvation. And this message is presented to us. And it says that we were in the world apart from God, apart from the covenant of Israel, apart from that. We were in the world without any hope. There was no hope for us until this happened. And this message went forth, and we heard it, and we heard the call of God. God actually called us. We heard the voice of God said, listen to this. This is important. Amen? Amen. This is the most important message of all. Yeah. I remember sharing this with my kids before I got into the accident. Because I, I felt deficient as a father. I said, I know this truth, but I didn't live this truth. I didn't teach it to my kids in the way that I should have. And I said this, I said, you can get married and have a great husband. You can make a lot of money. You can have a great career. You can have a great house. But apart from relationship with Christ, it means zero. It means nothing. Because this life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and it dissipates. It's passing. It's fleeting. 
Life is quick. It says in the psalm, it says that it is appointed unto men, maybe three score and ten, which is seventy. Score is, is twenty. So seventy years. And by reason of strength, maybe another ten. And if you take the right supplements, maybe another ten. Right? I mean, everybody, oh, I want to live long, I want to live long. But really, in the scheme of things, a hundred years is nothing in the face of eternity. It's, it's a blip on the screen. And we're like, uh, do I want to uh, give my handful of marbles to receive gems of uh, endless worth? Well, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm really familiar with these marbles. I'm, I really like these things. I'm familiar with them. And it's an exchange. It's a giving of your life. It's giving of your heart to Christ so that you can receive something that you can never lose. Eternal life. And it costs dearly. It cost Christ his life. It cost him hanging on the cross. And they're wagging their heads at him. They're looking at him and saying, he saved other people, but himself he cannot save. No truer words were spoken. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He brought uh, sight to the blind. He healed the lepers. He raised the dead. And he's hanging on a cross. Because it was God's appointment that this be. It says it pleased the Father to bruise him. That the chastisement of our peace was upon his son. And it's like, whoa, that's heavy, man. Heavy. And he willingly did it. It wasn't like kicking and screaming going to, he laid down his life. He said for the joy that was said, he endured the cross. He, he, he despised the shame, but he endured it because he saw the joy. He saw this right here. He saw souls being harvested. He saw seeds that were going to be planted and bring forth the harvest. He's the first seed that went into the ground. He's the firstborn from the dead. Talks about it in the book of Revelation, the book of Colossians. He's the first one of this type. That to go as a God-man in a form of flesh, die, and then resurrect, and then come in that same body. It, was a, it, was a, uh, it had to be made a point of. Then when he came back, he says, look at my hands. Look at my side. I know that he could have been, I, I'm assuming that God could have resurrected Christ in a perfectly uh, normal body. But I think he used those scars in his body as a, a, a witness of this is me. This is my body. This is what's going to be your future at some point. Death is a mysterious thing. It says in the book of Hebrews, we through life, we're, we live in fear of death. Whether you want to say it or not. I was listening to a preacher speak about this. And uh, Ricky Gervais, the guy who schooled all the people at the award show. He was saying, well, death is, you know, when death comes, well, I won't know about it. Because everything just gets canceled out at that point. Not so. I remember Isaiah Reed saying. Those of you who heard him preach. Drug addict. Pimp. Former pimp. And he said this about death. He said, if you don't know Jesus, don't die. Because he did die without knowing Jesus. And his mom was a woman of prayer and prayed him out of the pit. He said this. He said, I went into a darkness that I can't even describe to you. It was like liquid darkness that I was consumed in this darkness. 
And he says that I was hanging on to the hanging on to whatever sense of sanity that I had by my fingernails. And any moment I was feeling like I was going to fall and would continually fall into an abyss. He said he was a heroin actor. He had a serious Jones. He had a serious addiction to heroin. And he says these things. He was. He said he was a lust addict. He was a heroin addict. He was. A, he was a whoremonger. He said himself. And he said all those cravings were amplified to the nth degree, and there was nothing you can do to satiate it. And his fear was, I'm going to go into eternity in this condition. If you don't know Jesus, don't die. Because he takes all this sin away from us. He takes that stuff away from us and hands to us his righteousness. He gives us a new life. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal. It's a gift if I brought a gift up here and I said, do you want this gift? You can say, well, I don't know. Maybe there's something bad in that box or I don't know. It's a trick. Or we can say, well, I want it and go up there and grab it and it's yours. But we labor. We're laboring in our sin. We're getting the wages of that until we come to a knowledge of Christ and receive this finished work of salvation in Christ and our sins are taken away and our name is written in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. What a blessing. Amen. Amen. It goes on in 1520. It says, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or have died. And since man came death by man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Statement of fact right there. There was no death before Adam and Eve. There was no death in the world. God made it. He says, it's good. Everything I made is good. And there was no death until there was disobedience. There was one rule, one rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know what about human nature. I got to break the rule. I got to do it, man. Like I said, you got a pillow that says, do not remove this tag. Yeah. <laughs> Who, what are you going to do? You know? It's just our nature. Don't touch the wet paint. Is it really wet? <laughs> and it says that once we break one command, it says we're guilty of it all. You broke one, you broke them all. So you didn't, you, you, you were good with all this, but you break one. You know what? The, the law says you're guilty of it all. You're guilty, you're guilty. And so we hold the law as a standard that says the law is not made for anybody to be self-righteous. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So that's not the point. The point is to say, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. I can't do this on my own. And Jesus says, I've already done it for you. Accept what I've done. Receive the gift of salvation. Receive the gift of forgiveness. Receive eternal life. Eternal life. We don't have to fear. We don't have to fear death. Just like Pastor Tyler said, we're facing some very fearful things in the world right now. But in Christ, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. We can just say, well, Lord, you got me this far, thus far. And you didn't bring me this far to leave me. And I'm going to trust you all the way through because you have been good to your word. 
And like Peter said, where else are we going to go who has the words of life? Am I going to become a, a Scientologist? <laughs> who got a plan like this? Nobody got a plan like this. Right? Jesus got the words of eternal life. Peter said that. Lord, you know, they're like, oh, if you don't eat my flesh and you don't drink my blood. And people said, oh, that's it. That's crazy talk. I'm out, man. That's just too much. And he says, this is right before he's going to the cross. And he's laying down some heavy stuff. And people are just, I'm out. I'm, no, this is nonsense. No, no, no. And, and Jesus looks at his remainder, his disciples. You guys going to go too? And Peter says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Only you. And they went through it and they stuck with him. And they're going to be pillars in the new Jerusalem. Their names are going to be inscribed on the foundation. Can you imagine the fate that that took? That these 12 guys, tax collector, fishermen, this, that, uh, 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 revolutionary, all these guys. And this preacher who says, I'm the son of God. I'm going to raise from the dead. And there's no 2,000 years of church history. There is prophetic scriptures that are being confirmed. But these are the first ones, the first fruits. The first fruits who say, there's something special about this guy. I never saw anybody bring blind eyes. I never saw anybody have somebody who's mute from life. And all of a sudden he touch him and he starts speaking. Never saw this before. There's something to this Jesus. Think about it. No history. No written record yet. But they had faith. God is looking for faith in us. Do you believe? We sang it. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. That he's given us new life. That's all it takes. One of the tremendous ones. Is even before he even died. He's on the cross, and they, I was reading, I was going through all the accounts and just reading them over, and, and it says there was two robbers, male factors, who were crucified, one on the right, one on the left, and he's over there, and they're probably looking at him like, you know, seeing all the, all the, the turmoil going around this, what's going on, and the, 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 the Pharisees and them were just wagging their head at him, oh, he said he's, he's the son of God, and look at him, he's up on the cross now, and they start jeering at him also. The two of them. Look at you. You say you're the Messiah. Come off the cross. Yeah, save us. Save us. And then one of them comes to his senses for some reason. Probably by looking out, Jesus did not react to the crowd. In fact, during the process, forgive them, Father. They know not what they are doing. Forgive them. And this guy goes like this. He looks over and he goes, whoa. Now that is something right there. Can you imagine the faith that it took on this man's part? But he saw the Son of God next to him pinned on a cross. And he says to him, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus turns onto the side and looks at him. This day, you will be with me in paradise. This day. Just like that. What did he do to get saved? What did he do? Did he get baptized? No, he didn't. He was pinned on a cross. He didn't have a chance to get baptized. But he had faith. He saw an offer. He, he was moved. He was called in his heart. He heard something in his spirit that says, this is different. This is different. You don't see this every day. 
Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You remember they mocked him. Are you really a king? They even put it over his cross. We used to have a sign. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, mocking him. Like, look at your king up there. Look at him. And this guy recognized royalty. He recognized holiness. He recognized something other than. And he placed his faith on that. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is different than heaven. Remember in the account of Luke, that it says there was a rich man and there was a poor man, and they both died. It says that the, poor, the rich man was taken down to Hades. And the rich man, the angels came and grabbed him and took him into paradise. And there was two compartments there. There was the uh, place of torment, and there was Abraham's bosom, and it was separated by a large gulf, like a deep chasm. And you can't go from either side. But he was there, and he was being, Lazarus, the poor man's being comforted in Abraham's bosom. He's laying back, and, and the rich man's in torments in hell. And there's no water. And he's, he's like, I just, man, if, if you could just send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in the water and just put one drop of water on my tongue. I've heard accounts of people that go to hell. They said there is zero, zero moisture in hell. You're just a craving for something to drink. And the heat and the stench and the screams and the torture. If he could just come and just drip, just drop a, a drop of water on my tongue. And he says, in this life, you had the good things. And he had the bad things. Now there's a gulf separated. And you can't cross over and he can't go over there. This has been set. Eternity is beginning. And he said, please, send somebody to my brother's house. Please send somebody to my family's house to tell them not to come to this place of torment. Please tell them. And Abraham says, they have the prophets. They have the law. They have Moses. And it says, even if one were to come back from the dead, they would not hear it. Who came back from the dead? Jesus. Jesus came back from the dead. He's the one telling that story. People have all kinds of theories about hell, death, uh, life, eternal, this. But I think we should listen to the guy who conquered hell and death. He's got the authority to talk on this, right? He's the only one who's got the authority to talk on this. Fulfilling scriptures thousands of years before it was written. I mean, before it was written and he comes on the scene and he's fulfilling these things. And he said, he told his disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to, they're going to, um, they're going to scoff at me. They're going to do this. They're going to beat me, whip me and put me on a cross. But three days later, I'm coming out of the grave. I think that's pretty authoritative. I think that's somebody we can entrust with our eternal future with. Amen? That's, a, that's, a, uh, that not, that's not an uncertain word. That's a sure word. That we can say, thank you, Lord. That's why we celebrate this day. That's why we celebrate this day. Because it's the day that Christ conquered hell and the death and death he says that he uh in the book of galatia it says that he took the handwritings of the requirements that were against us basically the law the whole law this thing all these things that were don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do this and he says he nailed it to the cross triumphing over principalities and powers making a public spectacle of them and giving us the victory that's what happened at the cross. 
That's what defines history. Boom, right there. Darkness fled at the resurrection of Christ. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of light. He's taken us out of a kingdom of darkness. And I hate to say it like an infomercial person, but wait, there's more. <laughs> He's coming back. We sang it this morning, right? He's coming back again. Amen. He's coming back again. You know, I've been looking at stuff, and I'm not going to base my theology on YouTube, but I've been watching in the book of Joel, it says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Uh, your young men will, will dream dreams, and your old men will see visions, and you know, you'll prophesy, and all these things. And it's happening in this age right now. You know, that stuff's been going on in the church. But one of the things it says, people will have dreams. And I'm just seeing these testimonies come on YouTube. It's like, I had a dream about the rapture. I had a dream about Jesus coming back. I had a, I had a dream. I saw him in the, in the clouds. I had a dream that he was coming back. And he is. Because if all these things that we're talking about here were fulfilled absolutely, perfectly, according to what he says, the rest of what he said is going to happen. You know, and I talk about the rapture, and I think to myself, how many people even understand what that means? That's just nonsense or weird talk. And then there's testimony of this. One girl says, didn't I tell you I was coming back? She says she was in the midst of it. Hear the trumpet blast and she's been lifted up off the earth. And she goes, I didn't think you were coming this quick. He says, I told you I was coming quickly. I told you I was coming back. The stage is set right now. The times are dark. But the morning star is about to rise. Christ, that's the symbol of Christ. The morning star rises first, and then the day star, which is the sun, rises right after. These are things that portend what's happening right now. That Christ is going to come back for his church. He says, I have not appointed my church to wrath. But part of the process is to be able to be perseverant right now through hardships, through trials. Because the devil is going about like a roaring lion seeking to be made devour. Bringing discouragement. Bringing division. Bringing stuff our way. They were like, is it worth it? It is worth it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. In wrapping this up, let me read this last scripture. This is in the same resurrection chapter. Please go home and read this yourself. Meditate on it. Study it. This talks about what Christ purchased for this. It says, now, this is uh, verse 50 of chapter 15. It says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption, corruptible has put on incorruption, and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.
That's one scripture having to do with the rapture of the church. But it was basically saying that there are people who died. And in the book of Thessalonians, it says that we're a triune being. We're a spirit, soul, and body. At the death, just like Jesus, the, the, the body went into the grave. It went into the tomb for three days. But he resurrected in that same body and he came out. And the name for Jesus at that point, I am the firstborn from the dead. That's where this church gets its name. I am the firstborn, the prototokos, the prototype. Everybody else is going to follow suit, but I'm the first one who did this to show what's your future. He came out of the grave. This scripture right here that I just read is speaking about the time where the resurrection of the saints, those who died in faith. And you think, well, they're still in the grave? No, the body's in the grave. But the spirit and soul, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, is present with the Lord. But when Jesus comes back to get his church, he's coming down into the heavenly, into the clouds. And it says that a trumpet blast is going to blow and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who are in the grave who died in faith, their seed is in the ground, is going to meet them in the air and they're going to have a glorified body like Christ. First stage. Second stage, we who are alive and remain are going to disappear in front of people. So the Bible says, it's not science fiction, this is what the Bible says. You remember what the, uh, happened with Philip? He baptized the eunuch and all of a sudden he comes up out of the water and the guy's gone. It's like, whoa, that's just a, a show of what God can potentially do. This is going to happen. There's going to be scrambling on this earth like we've never seen before. There's going to be confusion. What happened to all these people? What happened to the Christians? They're gone. And a deep darkness is going to hit the earth like you can't even believe. Because right now, the presence of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ is a restraining force. It's salt and light. It's staving off darkness. You think it's bad now? Wait till the Christians are gone. Some people are going to probably be celebrating for a moment. They're finally out of here. And they're going to have a cover story that says, this is what we're waiting for, the glorious new age. It ain't going to turn out like that. The short of this is, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to know, have I received Christ? Am I in faith in Christ? Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. This is a good day. To rededicate ourselves to the Lord. It says, man, I got to get serious here. That I've received this gift in faith. I'm like that thief on the cross. I recognize something that I need. And I need it. Right? Right. It's good. Thank you, Lord.